Coast Mountain Bus Company is hiring bus drivers. As one of BC's top employers, they offer many perks, including paid training and exceptional benefits. Apply by May 22nd at translink.ca slash drive. The next station is... Welcome to What's the Tea, the TransLink podcast. When the very first trolley bus in Vancouver entered service on August 16, 1948, nobody could have known that it would mark the beginning of an era, one that continues to roll on 75 years later to this day. And as of 2023, Vancouver is the only remaining Canadian city to operate buses powered by overhead wires. But our trolley bus fleet is the third largest of its kind in Canada and the US. It's an iconic mode of transportation, on par with the picturesque SkyTrain or the uniquely regional C-Bus. And the advantages of adopting a trolley bus fleet were clear in 1948 as they are today. They combined the comfort, the convenience and features of buses with the superior performance of electrically powered streetcars. Vancouver's streetcar fleet had begun operating in June of 1891. So by the time the decision was made to replace the aging fleet with the new trolley buses, those streetcars were well over 50 years old and showing their age. The trolley bus was an instant hit. So much so that it influenced the city of Vancouver's decision to replace the Granville Street Bridge. The new bridge ultimately became the railless structure that was completed in 1954, replacing the streetcar track with overhead wires for the new trolley buses. For customers, it signaled a turning point in Vancouver's history, modernizing infrastructure on the heels of World War II. For trolley bus operators, it was a lot like Christmas in August, getting their hands on shiny new toys that would serve as the backbone of urban transit in the city for decades to come. These trolleys, they're equally as efficient in acceleration and everything as they were with the day they were new. This is the voice of a true living legend. His name is Angus McIntyre. He's a retired operator, having spent 40 years behind the wheel of a Vancouver trolley bus. Nobody knows the nuances and the personalities of the old Brill T-44 trolleys quite like Angus. Producer Alan and I had the chance to meet him at the Vancouver Transit Center, where we spoke inside a Brill, with Angus sitting in the driver's seat as he had done for decades. I'd like to take you back to your first day on the job when you got into this trolley and uh, we're picking up customers for the first time and if you remember what that felt like and the energy and the excitement you would have had at 21 years of age. I applied in July of um, 1969, the same week that the first man walked on the moon. Wow. And that's my landmark for that. Small our, step for man and uh, yes. one giant leap for mankind. And then the very first day of training was um, 
August 25th, and there were six in our class, and everybody talked about the weekend before, which was Woodstock. <laughs> so that was the topic of conversation. Uh, the Oak Ridge Transit Center, everybody could smoke anywhere in the building, and a lot of the instructors and the trainees smoked. I didn't. So in those days, there was non known smoking anything. So that was one thing you had to deal with as a non smoker was everybody smoking on the vehicles when you were training oh, if there right. were no passengers. Right. The, the rush hour is at 5 o'clock. So they sent all the buses into town um, at 5 o'clock, two minute service on almost all the, the, the city bus routes. At 5.30, the rush hour is over. Hmm. Now it starts at two and it's over at seven. Right. So, yeah. so it's spread out. Um, the loads could be very heavy. You can imagine trying to make change and sell tokens. We had no right-hand mirrors on the buses when I started. They came two years later, 1971. So we were trained to operate our vehicles without a right-hand mirror. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, the uh, official instruction was leave your turn signal on for half a block. Mm. You could actually see by looking here, you, if you stood up, you could see something, but if it was standing load... In the rear view mirror, yeah. Yeah, if it was a standing load, you couldn't. Right. So um, so what they said was, um, leave your turn signal on for half a block, but don't go all the way, just sort of make a test maneuver, and if you hear a horn and the screecher breaks, just back <laughs> off. <laughs> that was like a training thing. But the, the most important thing was the person sitting in the front seat, ask them, is that lane clear? Are there oh, any okay. cars over there? Okay. And so they, it's like an interaction with yeah, the Yeah, so they'd the say, customer. oh yeah, go ahead, or oh no, don't, don't. <laughs> so, um, and these mirrors here, they're not, there's a big blind spot down there, so we always had to look over our shoulder and down uh, before you did anything over to your left. And, and Angus, I want to dive on that, because some people, when they look at bus drivers, they might make the assumption, it's an ignorant guess, but they might make the assumption that it's not a very physically demanding job. But the way you're explaining it is that you had to be in motion, looking around, blind checks, shoulder checks, almost constantly. Oh yeah, that, that, that was part of the training. And, and eventually, it took me five years before I felt comfortable behind the wheel and doing the job. Five it took years. that long yeah. before I felt at home on the job. The sixth sense that you develop when you're eight hours a day, and that goes for most people that work on the road all the time, you, you start to anticipate and you see something that's always happening and then there's a variant. Mm. What, what is, there's something not quite the same as it's always been. I see. And that's when you avoid the accidents. That's when you, you avoid the problem. You worked the same route for a long time, long enough to the point where the regular customers you got to know, you saw them grow up and eventually start having families of their own. Yeah, and yes. then you got to meet their children. <laughs> what, what, what did that feel like? As well, somebody who, the, yeah, I mean, that? That, that's another part of it, you know? That, and to this day, there's still people I run into from time to time. But I, I, and I counted passengers. I was always interested in statistics, so I'd, I'd count passengers. We have two other drivers here present day that still do that. Hmm. I was interested in... in um, how busy it would be. Typically, my evening shift was 400 people, 450 people right. a, a night. And, um, and as the evening, I was always a night owl, but my hours for work were mostly 4 p.m. till midnight. So when I started, I was lucky enough to have Friday, Saturday off for two months and work for one of the women drivers from the Second World War, Marie Grossmig was her name, and I had a chance to actually do her run for two months, 
before she came back, she'd been off, off in compensation and worked for another three years, I think, wow. before she retired. There were still six women drivers when I started, and Idra McLeod was the last one. She retired in 1976, two years after the first women of the new generation had been hired. So that the, Vancouver is unusual because we've had a continuum of women operators from 1952, when the last conductorettes on the streetcars were, were not running, uh, they shifted to the buses. So, um, so Marie had her, a whole bunch of regulars. So finally, I had to sign up. Terrible work, you know, just split shift, horrible work. <laughs> but from 4 p.m. till midnight, Friday, Saturday off. I mean, that's two months. I just broke into the job so nicely. Yeah. So one day I was up at Oak Ridge and I finished my shift and here was this lady walking towards me. It was Marie. And I knew from description you know, who she was. So um, I, I went, I said, Marie? And she said, yes. And I said, I'm Angus. Oh, you took such good care of my people. Oh, they've all talked about you, right? So It's a community. It's yeah. a community, yeah. yeah. They would bring cake out to her. They'd bring food out to her. You know, That's lovely. Yeah. So... So when I, re when I reached my 25-year point on the job, my friends got together, unknown to me, and my regular run, I picked it up at uh, Fifth of Granville. Well, they got on, they, there were like 25 of my friends on the bus, <laughs> and they put a BC Hydro sticker on the front uh, instead of just the, the usual, it was a flyer trolley. And it pulled up, and um, we had a cake, we, we had a courier reporter and photographer on, they took pictures, they did a whole story in the courier paper, and it was a rolling party out to the end of Powell Street. That's amazing, and, and uh, you were working the whole time. Well, but it, you see, somebody else drove the bus for the first uh, part of the okay. shift. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, and then yeah. I started working. So that's the kind of thing my friends did for me. Nowadays, if your trolley comes off the wire, or if there's a big construction zone happening, they can detach and they can drive about a kilometer right. before they need to go back on. This Brill bus doesn't have that option. What did you have to do when you came face to face with a big construction zone and all of a sudden you couldn't just drive through? What were the options available to you? Uh, it was downhill. Um, you could pull the poles and roll around it and put them back up again. Uh, if it was uphill or level, usually if, if, if it was an accident or something, a supervisor would come. We had no radios, mm -hmm. so payphones were everywhere. So we'd always, you know, find a payphone. So that that's how we would work it. Um, if it was a big fire, uh, they would bring a tow truck and they would push us several blocks on a detour around <laughs> where the disruption was. And even earlier, when I first started, if it was a big fire, they had what they called hose jumpers. Mm. So the supervisor's cars, they didn't have the vans in, but they just had cars. In the back, they had these wooden uh, things with angled on each side and a gap, and they could put these over the fire hose. And then you could drive over the fire hoses without- Damaging. Da without damaging yeah. them. But boy, it would bounce. Like, and you'd have to tell the people you know, to hold on because it would <laughs> up and down like this. <laughs> And, and often they get a really close view of the fire. Like, I bet. Hey, I bet. So, so we would do that. If, if there was a fire, they, they had hose jumpers. Interesting. And um, often if you got to a corner where there was no switch, but you made it, needed to make a, a sharp right turn, you could actually angle, like we did back there, you could angle a lot and then move them over and finish the turn. So we had to be creative. Right. That, right. that was part of it.
Now it's a little bit easier, and operators, they don't know what it's like to have the hose jumping and everything like that. Times have changed. And the other thing, that we all had wooden wheel blocks with the metal hook on the rope part there, so we were all trained to be able to hook those wheel blocks on the front bumper of the pushing bus and the back bumper of the other one, and we could push another trolley just a, a short distance if you needed to, if it was on a dead spot or something like that. Okay, now we've got some coins here yeah. to use so that you can hear how this works. The penny went, went, was, a, was a buzz. And a nickel was a bong. Quarter was um, bing bing. Mm. This is what we listened to as we drove the bus when the fare was 20 cents. It is a nice little All melody. All day long. See, now the dime's doing its thing. Probably. Yeah. Well, that's lovely, isn't it? Yeah, so by 1976, these things were really starting to show their age. And so they... Hmm, strange. I thought that was a token. It's, it's a feature and not a bug. It's a feature. It's a feature. So operators could figure out. You, you didn't have to fare. look. You didn't have to look to see what the fare was. Ah. Um, when you're looking at so many other things on the road, yeah, anyway. So you just the people getting on, and yes, we were responsible for the company's money. Right. So they had incognito spotters on the bus to make sure that we weren't doing anything funny with their money. $120, it's like $600 now. Right. We were carrying cash boxes. People knew we were walking around with all this money. So um, they, they could actually tell if somebody didn't pay the full fare. I see. And write you up and turn you in. Of course. Yes. Of course. But that was then when nobody got on with it. Of course, it's a fair room. enough. Times were different. Times were different. Yeah. Got a question for you, Angus. So you're one of the very few operators who's managed to uh, actually work in a Brill, in the new flyer, and our current articulated uh, fleet as well. So what has the differences been like for you? And I know you didn't have too much experience with the new uh, current fleet that we have now, but this bus has charm. It has personality. The new flyer had a different type of personality. How do you distinguish what it was like working on each bus? Well, e e each... So I drove these for 15 years, yes, sir. and then the, uh, then we had the 2600s, which were an interim vehicle, and then we had the, uh, the Flyer 900 trolleys, um, which still had manual steering. It would, Vancouver was the last system in North America to get power steering. And so um, the biggest change for us was when we got the new workstation with the Recaro seat and the adjustable rack and door controls the, that was the big change um, for comfort. And so when these came along, I loved driving these, particularly the Artics. They were like a streetcar. They had that feel to them. Um, and so I drove those for four years, mm. right? And, and I'm glad I was able to do that. But um, each generation changed, and uh, the low floors, of course, were a huge um, improvement for everybody. Um, and the accessibility and so on. So that, that's, um, that's my take on it, is that um, each generation 
eventually did improve the working condition for the driver. Um, with the manual steering, there were a lot of back injuries. There were a lot of difficulties. Um, and so uh, that, that was a, a downside a bit. I, it's, I certainly didn't escape that. But uh, it, it was, I mean, we had a last run for the farewell to Brill. Mm -hmm. We had six trolleys and 240 people and a huge full day of activities. And then the, the Flyer 900s were, had taken over. As we spoke with Angus inside of that Brill T44 trolley, it was clear that he had the same passion and zest for these trolley buses as he had 50 years ago. Just like the Brill itself, Angus had served his community for decades and seen with his own eyes how the city was changing each and every year. Changing except for one fact. The trolley bus remained the workhorse of the city's transportation system. As producer Alan and I shuffled back inside the Vancouver Transit Center to sit down with another guest, we took one last look at the yard. Those two brills, graciously loaned by the Transit Museum Society for the anniversary, stood tall in the sea of modern buses around them. They were almost like two respected professors standing in front of a crowded lecture hall full of students. The brills held everyone's attention. They still commanded that power and respect. We walked through the doors and into the elevator. It was time to meet with John Strachan, a training instructor for the Coast Mountain Bus Company. At that time, do I, did I really catch the legacy? No, but after being here for a while, mm -hmm. right, I got introduced to a group called Transit Museum Society, and they operate the old transit buses that we have. And that's where I started really learning about the legacy. Mm -hmm. And it was quite fascinating to learn about the past and... You know, I learned about, you know, we went from trolleys to, sorry, streetcars, right, to the, the trolley buses, and they called it the rubber to wheel, uh, sorry, rail to rubber program mm -hmm. campaign. So we went to trolley buses, and then, you know, learned about those old Brill trolleys, and then, well, I was now driving the new flyer trolleys, and they were, learned about their challenges, and then, of course, then time went on, we got this generation of trolleys, and so you the advancements in the technology and when you compare the technology of the old bus the old new flyers to uh what we have now well they have even greater technology and it's it's interesting to watch the prog the the progress of right. technology right I, i'm wondering when you were driving those old new flyers did they have like a different feeling for you? You talk about the growth of technology, but was there something that maybe you miss about that uh, that new flyer sort of experience when you sit down at the wheel and it's a little bit different compared to the fleet that we have today? Is there something that stands out to you as, oh, I kind of miss the old ways? I do. I do. Um, there was a hum. Mm. There was a bit of a hum with the old flyers and you could, uh, I sometimes joke that the bus was singing to you. <laughs> okay. <laughs> And then, of course, with the, the way the suspension was on those buses, we had what we call the trolley rock. <laughs> when you, Explain that to me a little bit, please. Yeah. Okay, trolley rock. So you have the canter of the road. Okay, it's, it's arced, and, well, so water runs off to the sides. Well, when you hit the canter of the side road, you would feel the bus would go up and down, and, of course, the bus would do a bit of a rocking. Mm. And you got quite used to it. You would rock towards the, uh, the curb, and you'd see this post, one of the uh, traction poles, and you're just like, first time you experience it, you're like, okay, 
I'm going to hit that pole. <laughs> and you'd rock away from it just in time. And then you'd rock back. And then you'd rock to the left again. Interesting. And then you'd rock to the right. Yeah. You'd be doing this rocking back and forth for a bit. And so it became pretty standard where you, could, you know, hit the canter of the road, left, right, left, right, center. Right? <laughs> nice little like shake and bake, if you will. Yeah. 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 And so you got used to this, right? And first few times, like, oh, I'm going to hit that post. But no, you don't. And I guess the current fleet of trolley buses, they don't have the same they sort of They do not feel. have that same feel. Oh, interesting. A little, little more firmer on the suspension. I suspect like it's easier for operators nowadays to not have to deal with that sort of rocking and, and dancing a little bit, but less fun maybe. Because the way you're talking about it, it sounds like it's, you know, one of those nostalgic moments. It was, it was. Yeah. And, uh, but, you know, the new buses, current buses are, yes, they are easier to drive. You know, the... Uh, uh, the the poles don't come off of his, as easily as the old ones, and it's a, less of a challenge. And you got power steering, whereas the old trolleys they had air assist. Mm. I can remember years ago uh, when I was driving the trolleys. A friend of mine he asked me, "Why is it do the bus drivers fan their brakes going around the corner?" And it wasn't what it was. It was the, because it was air assisted steering. Oh. When you turn the wheel back, you'd hear this. The psh, 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 as if somebody was fanning the brakes. You don't get that with the power steering. Right, right, because it's all automated under the yeah. scenes, under the hood somewhere. So, yeah, it's, uh, again, one of those things where maybe you grew up listening to those, psh, 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 but now it's gone, and maybe you don't think about it until we just bring it up here in this episode and we have this conversation. Now people are probably going, oh, yeah, I remember that. I remember that. So I think those, those, those trolley buses, the new flyers, they definitely had some character. They did. They had some persona. And not to say the new current fleets don't have the same thing, but for somebody like you, John, who's kind of been in both and had experience driving both, um, you know, it means a lot to hear uh, that sort of testimony from you. Uh, now, when we talk about your current role at uh, Coast Mountain as the, uh, as the instructor bringing in new operators, um, let's talk about what that trolley bus training is like for you. And so beginning to end when you are dealing with just trolley buses, what do operators have to go through, or so, sorry, what do trainees have to go through, and, and how does that training maybe differ from something like a diesel bus training? Okay, so we start with diesel training, okay? And then after they pass the road test on the diesels, we introduce them to trolleys. Well, the first thing that goes out the window is their observation skills, mm. because they now start focusing on the trolley overhead because they're afraid of losing the poles off the wires and stuff like that, and so you gotta get them used to looking around again and just adding the overhead wire as part of their scan. Uh, and then there's multitasking involved, right? You you got to see the overhead, you got to plan for it. While you're uh, driving the bus, you got to use this toggle to activate uh, the coast power switch. And they uh, some people get a little complicated on it, but not that difficult, but it throws a few people at the beginning. Mm. But after a while, they shall we say, the penny drops, and it makes sense, and all of a sudden they start doing it. Mm -hmm. And if you drive with the, by the trolley rules, they're a very fun vehicle to drive. If you don't live by those rules, you're going to be outside putting your poles up a lot because the poles keep coming off. <laughs> uh, I've always been curious, when the poles do come off, is there like a, an alarm that tells the operator, like, hey, this is happening and we need to fix it, or is it like a sound that just kind of happens where you know like how do you how, how does an operator get alerted that this has happened? There's a there's a there's an alarm that goes off, mm -hmm. 
and there's also well, the little light, but you're not noticing the light because you're looking around. Of course, yeah. Right? yeah. But then, of course, uh, outside of the alarm, there is the sound. You can hear the bulls bouncing around or you know, sometimes hitting the overhead or gotcha. whatever. Yeah. But uh, it's usually the, the alarm that sounds off. I had a very small, very brief experience on the bus simulator. Now, that simulator is not a trolley simulator, so it's already busy enough when you're trying to pay attention, make sure the pedestrians don't get in the way, the other vehicles, and all these things. So, yeah, to your point, you add a trolley head, uh, you know, the whole thing. That's a lot of things you have to pay attention to, a lot of things you got to focus on. But that being said, the trolley bus has its own unique charm. And here in, in you know, Metro Vancouver, like I said, it's an iconic piece of um, our, our modes of transportation in this region. Have you found operators who actually prefer to stay on the trolleys instead of maybe moving off and doing a diesel bus somewhere else? Some drivers love trolleys. It's often said there's a love-hate relationship with trolleys. Some people love them, some people hate them. It's never boring. It's never boring. But the ones who love it, yeah, they like staying on, on trolleys. I've known operators who've, uh, their entire career, they've stayed with trolleys. They tried the diesel, but they love going back to the trolleys mm -hmm. because they are fun to drive. Uh, if you picture, if you ever played with a remote control car, a little electric remote control car, you get the, hit the accelerator, you get the speed up, you let it go, it just keeps on rolling. Mm -hmm. Well, that's what the trolley bus does. Mm -hmm. It's called freewheeling. You get up to speed and it will just roll. You take your foot off the accelerator, you cover the brake, which is great because you now approach an intersection, you're covering the brake instead of on the accelerator. If somebody jumps a light, well, guess what? You're already on the brake. Whereas you get an internal combustion engine, you take your foot off the accelerator, uh, vehicles have, re some have retarders, they start slowing you down. Right. Uh, the transmission starts slowing you down, whereas with the trolley bus, it freewheels. Hmm. Um, a lot of electric cars have that function. Most people have it on the regenerative braking. As soon as they tune to take their foot off the brake, it starts slowing down to uh, create more electricity. But if they turn that function off, then it freewheels and it will just keep on rolling. Interesting. See, now that we're kind of getting into the, uh, the nuances of how trolley buses work, all being attached to the system, kind of been wondering this. Like, where, does all, where do all the wires eventually go back to? Like, what's the starting point? For the trolleys, I've, I've actually never found an answer for that. You mean as in uh, where the power's coming from? Yeah, yeah. BC Hydro. Gotcha, our <laughs> friends at BC Hydro. <laughs> BC Hydro. Thanks, friends, yeah. Okay, we have a whole series of rectifier stations around the, the, the lower mainland, or at least, or should I say, Vancouver. Mm -hmm. uh, we have rectifier stations, and they convert the power to 600 volts DC, and it, uh, sorry, AC, and then it gets converted onto DC into the bus and it just it powers the bus. Mm. So if you ever see the wires on the ground, don't touch. Gotcha. 600 volts, 1500 amps, it'll make a, quite the spark. For yeah, you. fair enough, yeah. Uh, safety first being the, the number first. one policy we have to remember. So then when that charging is working and the buses are out on the roads, uh, talk to me a little bit more about what we call, was it in motion charging? In motion charging. All right. Okay, so the bus itself runs on electricity but it actually has some batteries on it. That way, <clears throat> when you pull the poles and hook them, you can drive around uh, a construction site or that accident or whatever. You know, look at the old street cars. They're on rail, something blocking the track, they're stuck. Mm. 
And then we got to the old Brills. Well, they didn't have the battery source. Well, the, since the old new flyers and the current generation trolleys, they have a battery source. And so you can run on those batteries. Well, when you run on those batteries, you drain them. So when you put the poles back on the wire and you start driving again, mm. it actually starts charging. Now, one thing I'm also um, wondering about is like when customers also share their enthusiasm and their passion for, for trolley buses, because it's not just like a one-sided relationship where it's only operators and only mechanics that enjoy this stuff. Customers know too, because certain customers that might have lived in this region for a long time, they've probably been on those trolley buses, whether it's the current fleet, the new flyers, um, certainly the Brills as well. Like, do they, do you have conversations sometimes with people like that and yes. talk about their stories and their experiences? Yes, yeah. I've, I've heard a lot of wonderful stories. Um, and when I was driving, I used to run into retired bus drivers. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, and they would talk about when they drove. And, uh, you know, I met one gentleman, now this is going back a few years, but, you know, he started here in 1927. And it's a good were, year. He was driving the old streetcars and then they started driving the old brill trolleys and so heard stories from him yeah i bet yeah and like just to sort of get a sense of what that experience was like all those years ago and yet the one sort of common thread between you and this retired operator is that you've been in a trolley bus you've been in the driver's seat before i think that's one of the fascinating parts about that um there's a lot of sort of like iconic transportation mediums in, in Vancouver. A lot of people might think SkyTrain. Some might think of the C-Bus, West Coast Express. They all have their, their valid arguments to make. But the trolley bus, it's the workhorse of, the mo of, the, of public transit in this region. It is a workhorse. Especially in the city of Vancouver, right? Like most of these routes are serviced by trolley buses. And I think it's, it's so, I don't know, I think it's really neat. Because um, we're also moving towards um, a, a time in society, John, where I'm sure... You've gotten aware of it as well. Like a lot of people, younger people too, are getting climate friendly, right? They're, they're very environmentally focused. Well, trolley buses, zero emissions. Trolleys and streetcars have been environmentally friendly since the beginning. Mm -hmm. You know, the first streetcar was invented in what, 1888, I believe it was. And the first bus was in 1890. And then, you know, they had streetcars running and then they had trolley buses you know and all that time so for over 100 years there have been electric vehicles running on the streets of vancouver the bulk of john's career as a trolley bus operator was spent behind the wheel of a new flyer 900 it was the next generation of trolleys that phased out the brills that angus had spent so many years on but it was remarkable, speaking from one generation of trolley bus operator to the next, while they had different experiences and two different vehicles, there was a constant thread tying them together. And that was the trolley bus legacy and servicing the same routes that had welcomed the very first trolley bus decades before. But John mentioned something in our conversation that could never have made sense during Angus's time. In Motion Charging, or IMC, which will play a crucial role in determining what will be our next trolley bus, the next generation of buses that will eventually replace our current fleet. What we've been learning over the last three, four years is that trolley is evolved. This is Kevin Plimley, a project manager for fleet asset management and procurement for TransLink and Coast Mountain Bus Company. Naturally, one of the people in charge of selecting the next generation of trolley buses started his career operating one. 
the last time I drove a trolley bus on the wire was I think in 2010. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm a little bit a uh, little bit further out of the seat there, but I still remember still remember driving the switches. Uh, probably be pretty rusty if they uh, sent me out with a driver trainer right now to see if I could still do it. But uh, I still watch the watch the wire when I drive under it, even if I'm in my own car. What did you know about the history of the trolley buses when you were being trained and then eventually becoming an operator? I mean, I'm from Edmonton, so I moved down here in 2000, so a couple of years before I started with the company. Um, so the trolleys were something that was a bit different from uh, from what I was used to in Edmonton. Edmonton used to have a small trolley grid, um, finally decommissioned, I think, in 2009, 2010, something like that. We actually lent them one of our buses early on. But uh, trolley was never something that was high on my radar. So it was quite an interesting thing to learn how to drive them, uh, you know, uh, just the, the the technical nature of driving a trolley bus. It's like you're driving in four dimensions. You got to you're looking up as well as down and ahead and left and right. So I've had a very short stint in the uh, bus simulator at VTC. <laughs> and so I can truly appreciate like how many things you have to be, you know, keeping an eye on. It's not just, uh, of course, the overhead wires if you have a trolley, but then the passengers, uh, mm-hmm. the people and the pedestrians, the other vehicles, like there's so much that is going on. And I don't know, um, Kevin, that enough people like the public truly appreciate and can understand what it's like to be in that seat and to know that you have so many responsibilities that you're juggling all at once. Yeah, it's quite quite the quite the list of tasks you do on a regular basis, and like the driver training groups here is really good. Like they they ramp you up to be able to handle all that one step at a time. So you like over like five six weeks, you learn how to drive the bus, drive the trolley, interact with the public while driving the bus, uh, all that stuff. Um, but yeah, it's it, uh, it it's quite the quite the quite the the quite the adventure. I bet it's it's putting it well. All right. So let's go into um, more about the work that you're doing now, especially when it comes to procurement. Now, um, technology is always changing. And I think that's a great fact of life. And that also, of course, applies to how public transit works, because we're always trying to keep an eye ahead for the future, like what next generation of fleets can replace the current one. So with that in mind, when we're trying to discuss like the procurement of the next trolley bus fleet, what are like some of the things that uh, we're looking for? What are some of those things that you are kind of hoping will check off on your list when you're saying like, this is the vehicle that we need moving forward? Well, I mean, any vehicle we buy, it's it's all about how well it's going to work with our system, whether it's a, a trolley or a hybrid or a battery electric or anything else. Um, trolleys, you know, the, the decision was made to renew the trolley fleet a few years ago. And at that time we were thinking, okay, it's going to be trolley for trolley. Technology isn't that further along. It's going to go on the wire. You know, we might get a slightly better battery to allow us to limp around. Like the, our current buses have a, we call it an EPU emergency power unit that lets them limp around a traffic accident or a short reroute or whatever. But the bus, the bus's range is finite at that point. Uh, half a kilometer, kilometer at the most. Um, what we've been learning over the last three, four years is that trolley is evolved. Um, trolleys are more or less a battery electric bus at this point. This they rather than having to sit in the yard or sit at a charger at the end of the line, they charge while they're moving. And the buses that we're seeing now uh, in North America and Europe, uh, they're fitted with 
fairly sizable battery packs, similar almost in capacity to the first two Nova battery electrics we've got. So the bus is now capable of operating autonomously from the overhead for extended periods, um, depending on a number of different conditions, the you know passenger load, terrain, heat, is it hot, is it cold, we're we running the air conditioning, the heaters, buses could have at least 20 kilometers of range away from the wire. And that's with all the systems running. Um, our current trolleys, as soon as you disconnect them from the wire, the air compressor shuts down. They're basically in a limp mode. Uh, they have to get around. They have to get around what they have to get around, and then they go back on the wire and carry on. This next, the, the evolution of trolley technology, what we call emotion charging or IMC, uh, allows the bus to carry on, do its work. If it needs to deviate from the overhead because of traffic conditions and accident construction, special events or whatever, the bus just, the, the operator pushes a button on the on the dash, the poles come down, they lock themselves in place, switch over to the battery packs and proceed as normal um, without any special requirements. Um, the, uh, the poles could even con conceivably be going back up on the wire, but we have to put, uh, what we call a catcher, a catch trough on the overhead, uh, to allow the poles to rise on their own and re-engage the overhead network. So it, it, all thing, if all the infrastructure is in place, the bus is basically autonomous, can go and just interact, uh, as a, as a, as a non-trolley and then come back and be a trolley. And when it's on the trolley overhead network, it's recharging itself. So we don't lose the downtime that you see uh, necessary for recharging battery electric vehicles. All of this is really fascinating things, especially when you're talking about the in-motion charging aspect of it. And I can see the advantage of of having that kind of technology and having that tool. Uh, because to your point, like a, a kilometer sounds like it's a lot. But as we know, like if you're going uphill, for example, that is very different from if you're just driving on flat surfaces. Oh, yeah. So it provides that extra benefit. And Vancouver, you know, not many people think of the city as being too hilly, but there are hills. There are significant hills. So I maybe you can explain that a little bit, like how it would be so advantageous for um, uh, the Vancouver fleet to have this kind of technology. Well, I mean, at, at a minimum, like right now, we maintain a, a, a group of spare spare buses to back trolleys up. So if we have to, what we call dieselize a line, it's you know very old term, but it's one of those things that stuck. Um, so if there's like right now the the number nine Broadway uh, with the Millennium Line uh, construction, the uh, the entire number nine line is a trolley route, but it's being operated by non trolley buses. And current, I think hybrid buses are out there right now. That's what we call dieselization. So we maintain a a, a batch of buses to support activities like that. Um, an IMC trolley wouldn't need that. So there's enough wire up on Broadway right now where the bus could go from Alma to, um, I think it's uh, Burrard or McDonald or whatever. I'm not sure what street it, the, the wires end at. Uh, stow the poles, switch to batteries, transit through the uh, construction site, put the poles back up and carry on on the wire and just recharge. So we, we gain the benefit of not having to keep such a keep, keep a backup fleet i mean it's a small backup fleet i think it's 25 or 30 buses but that's still 25 or 30 buses that could be out doing other service so and when you're looking into um the procurement of the next fleet like does vancouver have uniquely 
specific challenges because we live in like a temperate rainforest. So we've got a lot of wetness. Um, our winters, thankfully, aren't as bad, but we know that winter can be tricky. So like, does that play a, a role into like when you're going, I, I want to call it grocery shopping, but of course, that's just, that's very simplifying it. Uh, I mean, when we we, we we write the specifications for the vehicles, whether it's a trolley or any other type of bus we have, we, we describe the operating conditions for the region, the weather, the terrain, road speeds, that kind of stuff. Um, that the that a, a proponent would have to uh, respond to tell us what their vehicle can do and how well it will deal with our conditions. Um, I mean, rain is rain. It uh, like when we get quite a lot of it comparative to other uh, other operators across North America. Um, but uh, in terms of vehicle procurement and vehicle specifications, like we're more looking at you know that the vehicle has to be rated to operate in the weather. Um, whether it's uh, hot or cold, like we'll discuss, you know, like this is what we expect is the, the coldest typical conditions, the hottest typical conditions. Although I think we may have to adjust that after the last couple of years, but, um, and uh, we go from there and then the manufacturer steps up and tells us what the vehicle can do. If I'm looking for a new car, I can go into a dealership. I can look online. There's big catalogs I can sort through and try and find the next ride. That's perfect for me. How different is that from the work you do? Because I'm sure there's no, you know, Jimmy Pattison bus dealership somewhere. Uh, yeah, I mean, as much as we'd love to run down to the local dealership and pick up something off the lot, that's just not an option with a with a, a transit bus. Uh, every every agency has a very specific set of requirements that meet the needs of the region. Um, and all pretty much all buses are are effectively a, a hand built bespoke vehicle. Um, the uh, the specifications, like our specifications, are probably over 100 pages long that describe every little nuance and requirement that the vehicle has. And we spend quite a lot of effort uh, through the procurement and then post-procurement with the manufacturer just to iron all the uh, iron out all the details and, and go through that. So it's like we can't just go down and buy the LX model and ask for the power uh, the power accessories group and and call it a day. It's it's pretty much the polar opposite there. Be like going to Ford and asking them to uh, to design you a Chev. That'd be interesting. Uh, yeah. A very bold strategy, if you will. But <laughs> when we're talking about procurement, then like you say, there's a sort of like a a list of requirements that you're looking for. Mm. Um, who who gets to convey what should be on that list? Because if I was to say like Kevin, all of our buses need to have cup holders. It probably okay. won't make the list. But oh yeah, it that does. Process? That's pretty oh, high. The cup oh. holder. The cup holder is one of the most important pieces for the operator. <laughs> <laughs> it's actually we, we we actually do describe the cup holder in the specifications and we uh we sit down with uh as part of the review of the vehicle to make sure it's placed in the correct location and it's, oh, it, it meets okay. the needs i mean it's the operators the operator's workstation is their office they sit there seven and eight hours a day and um buses out on the road some buses some of our buses are out on the road 26 hours a day so you can imagine that that's an important piece of uh piece of the bus but in, in all seriousness the like with the vehicle, there's so many different details on the bus. We we work with uh, as many of uh, as many of the uh, the different stakeholders across the organization, uh, from operations, maintenance, planning, training, uh, 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 marketing. Uh, but one of the the more the, the most important groups is is the customer, and uh, the user advisory committee comes in from that perspective to help us. Uh, design the vehicle and lay it out uh, to meet the needs of, uh, of of the user, the customer, um, 
passengers, uh, whether they can walk on or they come on with a mobility aid and they need the assistance of the, the, the ramp. And that that all plays an important part in the design of the bus. Uh, and uh, uh, we, we bring them out uh, whenever we have something new. We show them around the vehicle and they get their input from it. And when we have the, uh, if, if we have a, a new vehicle that we're not familiar with, uh, we, uh, we, we introduce it to them and, run and get their feedback on it and try to incorporate as much as we can. And sometimes there's just limitations of the technology or the design of the vehicle that we can't overcome, but we do our best to try to get as many, uh, 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 to, to get as much as into the vehicle as we can. And I think that makes sense because just remembering um, the old Brills, they had those big blocky steps you had to go yep. up, which, you know, for folks like me, um, it's not a problem, but there are people who might be in wheelchairs, who have other disabilities that can't make that trip up the stairs so easily, if at all. So I think trying to engage everybody as much as possible, it probably, to your point, Kevin, it's such an important part of the process because you want to make sure the buses can be used by the widest number of people possible. Yeah, we want to make the bus welcoming and easy to use it's as simple as simple as that when i started driving here there was the trolleys were high floors uh they didn't even have lifts on them uh you had to if you wanted to bring a stroller on board you had to carry it on and bringing a mobility aid like a, a scooter or a wheelchair on board those buses was not even a question i mean i did remember a couple of uh some uh, university kids picked their friend up and carried her into the coach sat her down brought her chair in for her but uh, that's the except that was the exception on those vehicles Versus today, we have low floor, low floor through the first through the front and rear doors. We have a, a flip out ramp. We have uh, securement place uh, positions for them. So it's uh, it's come a long way, even in the in the time I've been here. So and that's a wonderful point that Kevin is illustrating. Technology is constantly improving, which is a fact of life beyond just the world of trolleybus or battery electric bus technology. But because these major advancements are happening, it's allowing transit agencies like TransLink to strategize which upgrades are worth the investment for Metro Vancouver. But hey, I'm not an engineer. I'm certainly not qualified to talk about what those upgrades actually mean. So with that in mind, let me introduce you to Q Lee, a former electrical maintenance engineer with Coast Mountain Bus Company, who is now the Trolley Overhead System Assistant Manager. Q's journey to where she is now actually starts in Toronto, where Q grew up. Q, your story actually starts in Toronto, where you grew up. Your family immigrated there when you were about nine years old. And so you kind of grew up riding the streetcars in uh, East Chinatown in Toronto. I've never been to Toronto. So please describe to us like the differences between the streetcars there versus the trolley buses here. And if there are advantages of having a streetcar instead of a trolley bus or maybe vice versa. Um, this. Pros and cons with each. Um, definitely the um, the streetcars are, are very quiet and very smooth rides just because they're stuck on a rail and they can only go one way. Um, and there's one thing unique I always remember is taking a streetcar is they have a very unique honk. It's like a ding ding <laughs> as opposed to your normal vehicles. It's always uplifting to hear that, even though they're meant to tell people to get out of the way. <laughs> um, <laughs> Um, but I mean, compared to that, I mean, there's kind of the the cons with that is because it's stuck on a rail. Anytime there's traffic, especially these streetcar routes go through downtown core, they always get stuck behind vehicles that are kind of stuck there, accidents, and it's hard for them to move around. And there are always delays. Having said that, 
So, I mean, definitely pros and cons, and that's where the trolley has an advantage is because on wheels, it has more ability to get around obstructions. So it definitely helps with schedule adherence, for sure. In your previous role as an engineer working on these buses, um, where did you get started? How did things kind of kick off for you? And how did you eventually get to where you are now? Um, well, actually, funny you mentioned that because um, prior to joining um, uh, TransLink and CNBC, I was kind of in a very different industry. Um, it was still engineering, consulting, like actually doing designs for buildings and facilities and and so forth. So coming into this role, um, I was a little bit cognizant that I don't know too much about buses. Um, but at the same time, I was having that mindset that, well, it's engineering. It's just you kind of apply. You learn what you don't know and you use what you know to apply to do any troubleshooting, problem solving um, for the buses and, instead of for buildings. So kind of coming in with that mindset, kind of, it's very refreshing. I, I definitely learned a lot uh, in this role and it's very rewarding that way. And uh, funny enough is when I first joined, one of my first assignment was do a uh, help put together a presentation, uh, do some research. Uh, what are the battery electric bus technologies or products that are out there that have started been used in other agencies? So that's kind of how uh, how I came on to the battery electric bus project. It's kind of that started off with that assignment. When you were doing that assignment, um, mm-hmm. did like were you inspired a little bit to kind of see what the technologies were, or um, I mean, you stayed in that role for a few years, so I'm mm-hmm. assuming like you you kind of thought, you know what, there's a lot of cool things going on here. There, there is. I mean, it is quite new, um, and and I mean, right now there's just so much technology advancements, and and battery is getting to such a mature state that we can actually use it um, for service. Um, and have enough capacity to actually make some runs. Um, and, and then the charging technology on top of that is kind of maturing as we're working through some of the issues. So seeing that kind of deployed and use, getting refined, improved, and they get more reliable, it is uh, very rewarding to see and be part of this process. I always figured mm-hmm. trolley buses and battery electric buses are two separate things, but it feels like now as technology is kind of going in a specific direction, they're coming together. So how does that all kind of work and, and why is it kind of going that way? If you just look at their current trolley buses, um, they are actually battery electric buses in a way, but they only have one to two kilometer range mm. um, and, and very limited the, uh, speed because they have such a small batteries in them just so that when they're off pole, they can get around obstacles without being attached to the overhead lines. So in Oasis, yes, the next generation of trolley buses is actually taking the some of the positives that's been developed and being in use in the battery electric, basically taking that bigger battery and then fitting up onto the trolley buses and, um, and also integrate some of the potentially plug-in charging that so that the, these trolley buses can be off pole. Um, and let's say parked at Hamilton and get charged up uh, a little bit more as well. And with the bigger batteries on these trolley buses, then now it allows them to not just go that one, two kilometer at 15 kilometer speed. It actually allows them to run more like a battery electric, just with a, a lot shorter range, like, let's say six kilometer or so. Mm. So in, in a sense, so that's kind of the evolution of the trolley buses is taking some of the advancements that's been realized and being applied to the battery electric buses. Um, and, and incorporating them, kind of taking the best of the batteries and incorporating to the trolleys and retain and the, the advantage of the trolley buses. 
And of course, they're not exactly identical because um, mm-hmm. he was mentioning, Kevin, that is, he was mentioning in motion charging, mm-hmm. whereas uh, battery electric buses mm-hmm. have a different type of charging system. They actually yeah. have specific chargers set out uh, yeah. across Route 100, for example. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. maybe take us into the complexities of what overhead charging is like and how it actually mm-hmm. works. Okay, sure. I mean, at the root of it, if you want to look at it, the uh, even though I know uh, Kevin mentioned the overhead charging is different, uh, the trolley overhead emotion charging is different than the battery electric bus um, uh, overhead charging. Really, in the essence of it, it's the same. Basically, you have contact with the source, and whether the bus is moving or stationary, it's getting top up uh, to the bus batteries. So um, for the... Um, uh, Battery electric buses, because the way it's charged, it doesn't, it's, there's a fixed point on the bus. So you can't really be moving the bus and also have your charging system follow you without your poles, basically. So that's mm-hmm. why it's stationary uh, to charge, whether it's plugged in or using the overhead gantry. Um, the advantage of the overhead gantry is it's just got so much more power it can put onto the bus, uh, bus battery a lot faster. So, um, and that's actually, Part of the uh, the goals of the Q-Trick buses is really um, at that time in 2019, uh, when we first deployed it, the intent was that was the technology available at that time. Uh, please have some agencies. Let's run it. Let's prove that this technology works. Um, if there are issues, let's refine it and see um, how we can improve it. So then there are more wide options because they're, because of the benefits of the battery electric buses, right? So um, with the gantry, how it works is, um, what people don't know is when you have your trolley lines, you're basically constantly connected. So mm-hmm. because the lines are energized, as soon as you're connecting, you you can draw power from it. Well, with the battery electric bus and the overhead um, charger, when the bus first comes in, well, there's really no way for the bus to connect to it. Um, and, and the gantry actually comes down. So how do they know? So how it works is when the bus comes in, parks, and the operator has a switch uh, that's called charge switch, he activates it. And what that does is it, the the bus, basically it's like a Wi-Fi um, modem uh, on each end. So the bus, let's say modem, talks to the charger modem, say, okay, I'm here, I'm ready, uh, please come down. And... Um, once that make that communication connection, not different than your cell phone to like a, high, uh, a Wi-Fi hotspot connection. Mm-hmm. So once they connect, they start talking and then the modem says, oh, yeah, I recognize you. You got the right password. I'll let you in. Uh, I'll start communicating with you. And then it'll, it'll start talking. And then when the bus says, OK, now come down and meet me. And then that's when the, the gantry comes down and meets the bus uh, bus rails. Mm-hmm. And then it does some safety checks, make sure that the the contacts are good. Um, it's in the right bars uh, because there are actually four different bars uh, in that gantry. And then it, it has uh, a mechanism, a circuitry mechanism to check that it passes the test. And then and then on the bus side, there is actually a contactor that closes the connection to allow the energy flow from the charger down to the bus. I, I love the Wi-Fi uh, example mm-hmm. because I that was what I was thinking of too. Um, mm-hmm. And then in a way, the trolley bus is like the old school Ethernet cable where mm-hmm. you just leave it plugged in all the time. So mm-hmm. I think yeah, in a, a way, it is. Yeah, yeah it's, it's a fun it way is. to sort of illustrate the point. Um, and and with the battery electric bus technology improving, like charging a bus to where you need it to 
operate uh, the route. It, it doesn't take that long, right? Like on average, how long would a bus operator and customers have to wait for that to happen? Uh, for our for this charger at 22nd and Marple, um, the power mm-hmm. rating is very high. It's like 450 kilowatts. So that's a lot of energy that can put yeah. on the battery in a very short amount of time. So for the bus to one to one end, um, the recharge time takes between like four to six minutes, kind of depending on the, the temperature of the batteries, how much the batteries can take. But generally, that's all it takes to uh, replenish the batteries. Amazing stuff, really. And like this technology, um, it probably wasn't available like that even 15 years ago, mm-hmm. which isn't that long, but that tells you how quickly things have advanced, exactly. right? Exactly. Like, yeah. And it really has to do with the battery technology, really. That's advanced so much that it can hold so much energy. It can take mm-hmm. so much charge without damaging the batteries and causing issues. So really, it's it's because of the advancements of the batteries themselves. Yeah. And I think that's a good way to pivot this conversation because society is also changing and we're seeing more just battery electric vehicles on the road period. Mm-hmm. And TransLink as an entity, as the public transit agency of um, you know Metro Vancouver, the plans for the future are going to be zero or low emission vehicles. So maybe touch on what that strategy is like, because we actually have the low carbon fleet strategy. Maybe you can pick on it from just the title alone, but explain it to people who are listening who might be hearing that for the first time. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, low carbon uh, fleets, strategy is really trying to run vehicles that does not emit um, uh, CO2 and any nitrous oxide um, uh, exhaust Greenhouse systems. gas emissions. Yeah, basically yeah. greenhouse gas emissions. So um, really for trolley buses already there, like we don't, that, that fleet is already zero emissions. Um, but with the trolleys, that means you have to build a whole network of trolley overhead lines and, and, to a lot of the agencies out there when have no experience going the route of battery electric having either plug-in or overhead gantry it seems like a similar technology uh, or it seems to be a uh, more simpler solution to deploy so that's why this whole battery uh, bus and, and charging technology is picked up so much but really when we already have something in in use, that's working so well for all these many years. It makes so much sense for us to keep the trolley infrastructure and the trolley buses in the next generation. And in conjunction, we're on the routes that we don't have all these overhead uh, trolley networks, then uh, it's deploying the battery electric buses also makes a lot of sense because these battery buses don't emit greenhouse gases. Right. Working hand in hand. And I think mm-hmm. that's exciting for people who are, of course, making the conscious decision to take public transit because they want to make a difference on the environment. Mm-hmm. You know, People are a lot more aware about things like climate change and they want to know that every decision they're making every day is, is helping positively making an impact. And while the trolley network in Vancouver is specific to the city, like there aren't really trolley wires, um, you know, in the suburbs when you get south of the Fraser Maybe that's where the battery electric bus has opportunities in the future, mm-hmm. is that routes eventually, uh, when we get to a point in where the technology is caught up and the fleet's all caught up, um, you could be riding a bus going to like places in White Rock, who knows, in yeah. a battery electric bus, knowing that you're making a positive difference. And I think that's the future people are so excited by. Yes, for so sure. When we talk about that, um, Q, like how how excited are you? Because that's the that's the job that you're kind of in, trying to make sure that the infrastructure is going to be strong and robust over the years to come. Um, very exciting is because, I mean, when we first deploy these Q-Trick buses, it's technology is still so new and it's still um, not used as much. 
um, to really prove how the, the technologies work um, can be adopted. And I mean, along the ways, there are definitely hiccups, issues that were found. Um, but what's really exciting and rewarding is that having kind of been in that forefront, uh, working with like vendors or only internal staff, very stakeholders to work on a solution and then implement and then hear the feedback from operators and the maintenance team saying, um, seeing the improvements uh, that has helped. Uh, it's definitely very rewarding. So I'm, I'm glad to be part of this process. Would you say that TransLink is like a leader in this particular type of work? Um, because, you know, we've had the trolley buses for so long, to your point, going back to like 1948. Do other agencies maybe across North America, you know, look at us as an example and maybe ask questions on, hey, like if we wanted to do a similar thing, can you give us some advice? Have, have conversations like that taken place? Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, uh, definitely since the uh, kind of the wide adopt- wider adoption of battery electric buses and chargers, um, there's definitely a lot more communications between agencies, right? Because everybody's learning and why learn on your own? Like why not share knowledge? So there's been a lot of the, that engagement uh, in this like a whole North American transit agency just to learn from each other um, so that, oh, you found this problem. Oh, maybe I should look at, and, oh, and, and oh, this this issue you found, um, I've got a solution that we mm. worked on. And it, just that exchange of information is, um, it's, uh, it's, it's basically helping the whole industry kind of improve. And, and definitely a- we're part of like being being the forefront in adopting the Q-Trick buses early on, um, we kind of were being looked upon as, oh, you guys have experience. Can you share some of that mm. like experience, uh, how you did the deployments, what are some of the issues and improvements you've made? Um, and definitely helps each other out for sure. Were, were you there when we um, unveiled the first of the new battery electric buses at 22nd Street? We had yes, a media event. I, I was there. What was your feeling when you got onto the new Nova LSFE Plus for the first time and you kind of got to hear just how quiet it is and how smooth that ride was? Because for me, I thought that was really cool. <laughs> well, funny enough, um, the first thing usually people say to me is like, oh, you know, this this bus just looks like a regular bus. <laughs> hmm. uh, when they step in and then when they ride it, it was like, wow, it, it's 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 smooth. Um but it's not all that quiet. I mean, you do have road noise. You do have other bus noises. So uh, in a way, it's not that different than riding other buses. Uh, but what they do, uh, uh, what people gets people is when the bus do come to stop, it's like suddenly that silence <laughs> and you can hear conversations <laughs> carry on by other people. <laughs> and that so always gets more, people. <laughs> yeah, it's more noticeable when the when the bus isn't moving, I exactly. guess, right? Because th- that engine idling sound isn't there. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. So so that part is uh, also always funny to see. Um, but I mean, it's it's definitely smoother rise, definitely quieter in general mm-hmm. anyway. Um, and I mean, it's it's there's no smoke. Smell, right? I always <laughs> find there's a bit of a smell with diesels. <laughs> Very true. And so um, you heard it here first, ladies and gentlemen, if you're listening, uh, there's more than meets the eye with our battery electric buses, as heard from one of our excellent uh, engineers. Um, is there is there anything that people listening right now, Q, that if you wanted to have them have one takeaway from this conversation, what's one thing that people should really get excited about when we're talking about the future of not just trolley buses uh, for TransLink and Metro Vancouver, but maybe all buses uh, moving forward? I don't know if people realize how much work it goes into (laughs) launching launching vehicles, especially in new platforms. So I would say... Give give the team a little bit of a pat on the back when when all is launched and is successful, it's in service and um 
and people are enjoying the new vehicles. As an engineer, do you kind of get a kick out of seeing the old trolley bus, like the Brill? I, I don't know if you've I do. Actually... I've seen it. Yeah, yeah. yeah I've oh, seen it. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's yeah. your takeaway? Because like the technology was obviously so different, and yet mm-hmm. the rudimentary foundation is still the same. It still attaches to the wires. The wires haven't changed a lot, right? So yeah. uh, it must be kind of interesting for you to see like, oh, that's the way they did it back then compared to the way that we do things now. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, I I, I always get a kick at uh, looking at old stuff because I always feel like it's history repeats itself in a way and things are circular. There's always something good about the old way of doing things that you can use to apply to the new. And then when you look at it side by side with the new products, um, uh, you can sort of see some of that train of thought getting carried over to the new products as well from the old. In the 2011 film Moneyball starring Brad Pitt, there's a quote from Pitt's character Billy Bean who says, how can you not be romantic about baseball? And that line popped into my head here. How can you not be romantic about trolley buses? Looking back at the past 75 incredible years, there's absolutely no doubt that the future remains bright for these proven performers, the workhorses of Vancouver's bus fleet. Sure, they might look, sound, and feel different with each generation to come, but one thing will always stay true. The trolley bus is moving us ahead to tomorrow, and with it, another 75 glorious years. I've been your host, John Jang. My thanks to Angus McIntyre, John Strachan, Kevin Plimley, and Q Lee for their time, expertise, and stories. And to all of our friends at Coast Mountain Bus Company for helping us with this very special anniversary episode. And of course, a special thanks to you for listening and subscribing. Until next time, have a safe trip. Coast Mountain Bus Company is hiring bus drivers. As one of BC's top employers, they offer many perks, including paid training and exceptional benefits. Apply by May 22nd at translink.ca slash drive.